you. Good to have you here. I wanted to know, have you ever pushed your body further than your mind thought it could go? Ever pushed your body further than your mind thought? I see some head nods. I was doing some research over something called parkour. Has anyone heard of parkour? Yeah, it's kind of a crazy concept where instead of using the stairs that would be available to you or elevators that would be available, you just try to climb walls, jump over buildings, play Batman, I don't know, um, and push your body further than what your mind thinks it should be going. The only people, by the way, that I think should be doing parkour are not people, by the way. I, I think the only ones suited are goats. Goats can do parkour. The rest of us should probably use stairs, ladders, elevators. But, but I was doing some research, and, and I found uh, someone being interviewed about parkour, a leader of it, and this is what he said about the challenge. Uh, a quote, he said, our natural limits are much further back than people think, says Eduardes, leader in parkour. The main barrier is the perception of what we think we can or can't do. And they were talking about taking that first jump whether it be, again, uh, across a building or, or down when there were no stairs, and, and, and training uh, your body to do it even though your mind is saying, no, 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 that's foolishness. And maybe, by the way, it is. Maybe the mind is right there, um, but anyway. Uh, for me, this happened very recently. Um, I, I pushed my body further than my mind thought it could go. I signed up for a Ragnar race. Has anyone heard of Ragnar? It is a 200-mile race. We ran from Chicago to Madison among 12 people. Now, now, again, we, we don't all run the 200 miles. Rather, each person has legs that they have to accomplish. So for me, I had to run 6 miles, and then 6.3 miles, and then 7.7 miles, 20 miles total within 24 hours. It was an overnight race, by the way, so I had no sleep in order to do this. Now, when I came to the third leg, about mile 5, my mind was saying, you better stop. This is not going to go well for you if you do not stop at this point. I remember it was even worse when I saw this sign. It's fuzzy uh, because I was running one mile to go. Uh, here it really was like, okay, you, you've made it. You've proved your point. Stop it. But I didn't stop. I kept going, and, and, and the team and I were able to accomplish and, and get to Madison together. There we are at the end of the Ragnar. I'm not sure I'd recommend it, but we did it. <laughs> But here's the thing, I know you know what this is like, because some of you have run a 5K, and for you that was a huge deal. Anyone run a 5K before? And I remember reading something like from couch to 5K, and, and you didn't think you could do it, but you did it, way to go. Uh, others of you, has anyone uh, ever run a marathon or a triathlon? Marathon, triathlon, anyone? Yeah, yeah, a few, the, the brave, the proud. By the way, the first people who did that died, the, the first guy, so I don't know why we continue doing it. But anyway, um, marathon runners, we push the body. Uh, you don't have to be an athlete to do this. Um, I, I consider pregnancy, and, and we've been having a baby boom, which is really, really cool, and, and talk about, again, uh, pushing your body further than your mind thinks it should be going. Um, this happens at work, right? I can't believe I just worked 70 hours, but... It happened. It happens when we study. I can't believe I studied two hours for that test, but it happens. We've gathered in the house of God. I want to switch the discussion away from physical things to spiritual things. And do you think that if it's possible to push our bodies further than our minds think it can go, could we push our spiritual life, what God accomplishes in us, further than what we think it can go? I believe that, my friends. And that's the framework of our discussion this morning, is we're going to ask the question, how might we push past mental barriers spiritually? How might we overcome 
Use that same inertia to say, I'm going to live for God like never before. I consider this one area called temptation. And temptation to me is always epitomized by a bag of those jewel chocolate chip cookies. You ever get those? That is temptation, friends. And I lose it every time. For that bag is like a black hole. It is calling my name, sucking me in. It is like gravity. It is an inescapable, inescapable inevitability that I will eat more cookies than I should. You know what I'm talking about? That is temptation. And we all know what temptation is. We have different temptations, I recognize. We all have different proclivities. But we all know that, that thing, that thing that's like gravity just pulling at us, trying to get at us, just calling our name. And sometimes we might think, there is no way, no way I can escape it. I better give in. In fact, I've given in before. It's, it's just like gravity. It's going to happen again. And we put a mental barrier where, again, the Spirit says you can overcome. Consider, again, the words of our first lesson. It says, by the way, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You're not alone in this. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, can you read the yellow with me? He will also provide a way out. See, your spirit can go further than what your body, or, or sorry, what your mind sometimes thinks. You have the power by the Spirit of God to live a holy life, to avoid temptation. So how do we get there? That's why I want to dwell in the story of Job. You ready to consider him? Still with me? So, so we're in week two on the story of Job. And talk about being pushed beyond what, what anyone should be able to bear. Last week we saw that he was a very wealthy man. He had a diversified portfolio. He was a wise investor with all his cattle and his servants. But in a day he lost it all. Not only that, but he had ten children, which is a great blessing. And in a day he has to say goodbye to every one of those children. And while we might say it would be logical for him to give in, to despair and to mouth some mindless statements, to mouth statements of despair. What does Job say instead? He, he, he says miraculously, remember these words, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart, the Lord gave, the Lord took away, may the name of the Lord be praised. Talk about a Herculean effort being pushed past in the spirit what maybe he thought he could go. Well, today it gets even worse for Job. Today he loses his health. He is covered with these boils, these sores from head to toe. It is so bad for Job that he is scratching himself with broken pieces of pottery. That, that is a bad state to be in. He, he, it's so bad for him his friends don't even recognize who he is. That's how much his body has changed. And yet what is his response? Let's look there. So I invite you to turn with me. It's printed out for you in the worship folder. Uh, we're going to consider this whole section um, we're going to read together and, and just look at, again, Job's response to how he's been pushed. Job chapter 2, it says, Another day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. We live in a spiritual world. That is something we should know. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. He still maintains his integrity, though you have incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. 
A man will give all he has for his own life. And, and that is true if we have loved ones and, and need to pay the doctor's bills. We, we, we cherish life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to his face, to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores, from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery, scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. What an encouraging wife Job had. We'll talk about that. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? What a response. What a Herculean effort to stand firm and to say this in the midst of all that adversity. And what does scripture say? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. That's, that's incredible. And now we see that his friends arrived. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, Zophar, the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set up from their homes met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. True friends who came by, but Job, again, standing firm. Could you turn to the person next to you and just encourage him with the sermon title, Stand Firm. Stand firm. Tell them, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Ready to dig into the God's word together? So, so what I love about Job's story is that suffering is so common. We, we have that as a common human experience when, when it comes to this life. And we have different stories of suffering, but, but it draws us all together as we all have part of our story, which was really hard, was a trial and difficult. What's common, the knee-jerk reaction when we suffer, when it's bad, is to ask why. That is common for us all. And let me again give you the spoiler alert to the story of Job. He is never given the reason why. Never ever is he given the reason why this happened. God does not permit him to know why. And yet, as we wrestle with why, there are some things that we can understand. Principles of what happened when we wrestle with suffering. For example, one commentator said this, that, that as we wrestle with why and we look at the story of Job, we learn that God is worthy of love even apart from the blessings he bestows. That is an important principle. If you were with us last week, that's what we explored. We discovered that everything we have is on loan from God. If you have a nice house, that's God's. If you have a nice boat, that's God's. If you have ten children, five children, one child, guess who it is? That's God's. All that we enjoy in this life is on loan from a gracious God. And when we suffer, if he takes it away, if we suffer because of loss, it's an opportunity to praise him, not because of what he gives, but because of who he is. You understand that? In suffering, we can praise him, not because of the blessings we get from him, but what he gives. It reminds me of a popular song by Natalie Grant. If you're listening to Christian radio, uh, there are some lyrics that say, help me to love the healer more than the healing, the savior more than the saving. The giver more than the giving. It's important to get to that point. And by the way, our God led the way in this. Because when we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we had nothing to give to him, nothing good, he gave his life so we could have unconditional love. That's an important principle, an opportunity to love him in spite of the difficulty, in spite of loss. 
But the second thing we learn about the story of Job that I want to discuss with you more when it comes to this lesson is this, that, that God may permit suffering as a means of purifying and strengthening the soul in godliness. That's what I want to discuss in these next moments. And, and to do that, I wanted to know, how many of you have ever heard of Horatio Spafford? Horatio Spafford, a few, few people. Uh, Horatio Spafford uh, was a Chicagoan. Grew up in Chicago, uh, good friends of D.L. Moody. If you've ever heard of Moody Bible or Moody Radio, uh, good friends with D.L. Moody. He was a lawyer. He had huge investment in the Chicago area in the 1860s, but when the great fire of 1871 came, he lost it all. He lost his fortune. In order to cope with that tremendous loss, uh, he thought it would be a good idea to take his family to Europe, go on a family vacation. Now, he was married with four daughters. As they were approaching uh, Europe, uh, the only way to get there was by boat. He was called back for business. And so he told his family, you go on without me. I need to stay back right now. I'll catch up with you. As they were traveling across the Atlantic River, his wife and his four girls, their boat was hit by a British sailing vessel, a huge accident. 226 lives were lost that day, including all of his four daughters. His wife was pulled unconscious from the wreck. And his wife sent him a telegram that said, saved alone. He went on his way then to be reunited with his wife. Got on a boat. And the captain of that boat pointed out exactly where the accident happened, exactly where his daughters lost their lives. It's in that moment that he put pen to paper and he wrote one of the most magnificent songs that we sing together as a church body, a song entitled, It Is Well, with my soul. Have you heard this song? It is well with my soul. I want to read for you just some of the lyrics of It is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford was able to say, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate, and he hath shed his own blood for my soul. Beautiful words. Horatio Spafford had a Job-like experience and also a Job-like response. And the first thing that we learn today through that example and through the story today is this. If you're taking notes, here it is. With God, tremendous beauty can be forged from misery. With God, tremendous beauty can come out of something that was ugly, something that was miserable, something that was painful. And that is Job's story, friends. See, he has praised for generations for the beautiful proclamation he had when everything was falling apart. To be able to say, naked I came, naked I will depart. The name of the Lord be praised for he gives and he takes away. He's good in spite of all of it. When it comes into our own lives, that is the opportunity that I believe the Spirit can compel us to do. Is to mouth something beautiful. Is to give praise to the Creator God Praise to the one who is with us. Praise to the one who's good in spite of all that we go through, though it be such a hard time. For he is with us and he is good. And if we do this, how does God react to such bold confessions of his goodness in spite of all we go through? You want to see what God said about Job? In verse 3 it said, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. 
He still maintains his integrity, though you have incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Basically, what I hear there is that we have a father who is proud of his boy. We have a coach who knows his player just went through the ringer, but is proud that they got out on the other side and is stronger and won the battle. And don't you know that God is a coach like that? In fact, uh, often I think this is why he allows the devil to attack us. Do you know it was the devil's plan all the while to get Job to curse God? But Job has won the battle. Job is praising God in spite of this. In fact, one commentator said that God gave the devil enough rope to hang himself with. The same in our own lives. God acts like a coach. I remember in football when we had two-a-days. Two-a-days, which is two practices in one day. And at the end of the two-a-days, our coach, who, who didn't hate us, I don't think anyway, had us run hills. And that often led to people losing their lunch, and it wasn't a pretty thing. No one wanted to run hills after two-a-days. But why did he do it? Because he knew that this was going to make you stronger. Because he knew you'd be stronger in the fourth quarter. When the enemy is not relenting, you needed that strength. He's that personal trainer who says one last rep because he's not, he, he knows about the pump. He knows about the gains. That's our God. Yes, he might permit Satan to attack. He didn't cause it, but he allows it. So that beauty can be forged from misery. Do you know this is happening today? I consider some Christians today. Um, we've had a dynamic women's group for a long time. And just thank you, Aaron, for leading that. Um, we, we've considered people like uh, Beth Moore or Lisa Turkhurst. And maybe there are some who have heard of the names Joyce Meyer or, or, or Christine Kane. Do you know the thread running through all of their story? Pain. Every one of those ladies w was a victim of sexual abuse. Isn't that crazy? And yet God is using them to proclaim the name. God is using them to redeem beauty from ashes. That, that's the, the title of Joyce Meyer's book. I remember when we were doing a Beth Moore series and I was hearing her tell her story. I remember that she said comments like, I would have never picked the pain. But now after he saw, she saw what God did through it, she, she, made, she didn't want to change it. Never picked the pain, but, but wouldn't change it because of the beauty that was forged from misery. Friends, this is still what our great God does. Sometimes your most beautiful confession the greatest evidence of strength is forged under any the circumstances anything but good. A circumstance that could be described as miserable. And that is our opportunity when suffering comes. You know, a Bible commentator, A.W. A. Tozer, he said this. He said, you know, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. There is something in me that believes in that. As I see God, again, using misery for so many different purposes. But friends, may I ask now, let's do some gut check. How do you handle the miserable moments of life? Are there times when you think in your mind, this is too much? This is too much. In fact, the only reasonable response is to despair. Th to say something meaningless. To say something um, that's just down, down and out. Or consider our lives of temptation. Are there times when we say, you know, this is too much. It's inevitable. I'm going to fall. 
I know I still have gains that I could make when it comes to handling misery. I've yet been perfected by this. But you know what I get to remind you of? The one who endured. I get to remind you today of the one who stood firm when we could not. And his name is Jesus Christ. And if you're visiting today, we think the most beautiful concept there is in the church is Jesus Christ. And if you want to see beauty forged from misery, there is no greater example than the cross. The cross of Christ where he again suffers more than Job ever could. Where he takes on the curse of sin for us, the torments of hell being forsaken by his father. And yet he gets something beautiful for us to rejoice from. In 2 Corinthians 5, it tells us of this exchange. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He brought on the misery to Jesus Christ. But look what comes out of that misery. So that in him we may become the righteousness of God. I get to remind you, do you know in faith in Jesus Christ you are the righteousness of God? Do you know that you stand blameless like Job did? That God can say of you, you are upright. That a good father looks down and says, oh man, I'm so proud of my son, I'm so proud of my daughter. And it has nothing to do with how well you've handled your misery. It has nothing to do with your confession. And it has everything to do with Jesus who is the greater Job. Who forged beauty from misery. And who reminds us that we now have been made beautiful through faith in Jesus Christ. I love to remind you that salvation is a gift of God. That this standing is not up to us but rather it is all on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. You are beautiful. You have been made beautiful through his cross. But there's more to learn, and I'm not done preaching yet. And I consider how easy it is to say the wrong thing. Have you ever said the wrong thing to someone? You know, I I think that that often, you know, classic cases, um, you can say the wrong thing. If if you meet a Sox fan and you tell them you're a Cubs fan, I've seen that it is often the wrong thing to say, and maybe vice versa. Or or maybe when you come to a lady and and you ask if they're pregnant, I just think you should probably never ask that question, right? It's it's not going to go well, friends. Uh, Another one close to that uh, happened recently is if you assume that there is a generational gap that doesn't exist, Let's say it's sisters and you you ask if one is the mom, that that is not going to go well for you. It is so easy to say the wrong thing. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And and men, you know what it is to say something that will upset a a woman. And and I won't even go there, but I know what it is. Um, uh, And and women, you know the same. You know, uh, you don't work hard enough or things like that. I mean, there are things that can set almost everyone off. Well, talk about saying the exact wrong thing today. Here we have Job's wife. How does she do? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Yeah. Look again at some of the worst statements that have ever been made. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Because as if that were a bad thing. Curse God and die. Can you imagine if you came to church this morning and I said, hey, curse God and die? That's (laughs) That's not a good statement, right? Now, much has been made said about Job's wife. In fact, I I heard a recent comedian uh, who said that part of God's punishment was keeping his wife around, but I I won't go there. Um, But before we get all judgy on Job's wife, maybe we should consider her lot. Has she not just lost everything too? Not only Job lost the wealth, but again, they're a household. She's lost everything too. She's a mother of ten children. And this mother has now just lost all those that she loved, all those that she is so connected to. 
This is hard. And we don't know what state she's in when she says this. It could be late at night. It could be 2 a.m. And she's mouthing meaningless words. And yet it's the wrong thing, isn't it? It ain't helping. So I'd rather have you turn your attention to what Job says. Job is fighting to stand firm. And Job, even in this confrontation with his wife, is trying to be a good husband, teaching her something of value in spite of the misery that they find themselves in. And so he says, and yes, this is confrontation. I'm not sure this is exactly what I'd say, but he says you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? He is looking outside of the pain that he is in. And it's remarkable. It's a Herculean effort because usually when we're in pain and he was covered with sores, we tend to just think of ourselves. But in this moment, he is again not only speaking to his own soul, but to his wife saying again, God is with us. There will be good and bad. He's calling her up. Do you know, I think often we have people telling us the wrong thing. Sometimes it's a friend, sometimes it's a neighbor. But, but mostly, you know, who's always speaking to us saying the wrong thing? The same one attacking Job. The one named Satan who is called our adversary. Because I don't know your experience, but he comes into my mind. And you know what he says? You're worthless. You're not good at anything. You don't matter. You're not valuable. Do you know what I'm talking about? He is relentless in our minds to get us to believe these things that aren't true. And the way we fight him is the same way that Job got past the temptation with his wife. How do we fight against the devil? We need to resist the devil with the right word. And so we say when the attack comes and, and we're, we're, we're thought that, that I'm not loved. No, no, I am loved. I am loved because Jesus gave his life for me. When we're told we're not valuable, no, no, no. See, I'm God's workmanship. He created me for a purpose. I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. When he says it's not going to work out, he says, no, no, no. See, I know everything works for my eternal good. He's with me right now. Flee from me, Satan. I'm not going to live in fear today. When we don't know how we're going to be provided for to say, no, no, no. My father, he's the maker of heaven and earth. He owns everything. He has not failed me yet, and he is going to provide we say, flee devil, I know the right word. And if we resist him, he does flee. Isn't that what the greater Job Jesus did? Do you remember him being tempted? So he went 40 days of fasting and was tempted to turn uh, a stone into some bread. And what does he said? No man does not live by bread alone. Tempted to throw himself down from the temple and he says, no, 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 don't put the Lord your God to the test. Tempted at a time when he didn't have popularity, to inherit the world if he bowed down to Satan. But he says, no, worship the Lord, serve him only. And every time he said, it is written. Every time he went back to the word. Friends, you have the word of God, don't you? You have the promises that can help you resist the devil and make him flee. And this is how we get strength. This is how we push past what we thought we could never get through. Have hope through a circumstance that looks anything but hopeful. This is how we forge beauty from misery. We use the word of God and the promises of God that make the devil flee. Would you join with me in doing that? Because we have a greater example in our Savior Jesus. Jesus always fought to say the right thing. 
Jesus, who was in the midst of the pain, uh, as he was not covered with swords, as he was being nailed to the cross, he mouths the words, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's fighting for the right word. Or when he was hanging on the cross, and he looks to his mom, and he cares about his mom, and he says, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your, your mother. Caring about someone in the midst of his pain, fighting to say the right words, looking outside of himself to breathe words of life and hope. What if we could be a community like that? What if you join with me today and committed to fighting for the right words? To be intentional about how we speak to one another and the circumstances they find themselves in. To use even the word of God to encourage one another. I know you've done it, but what if we continue to do it? You know, I had this experience recently. Uh, some of you know I was at our, our Wells Teen Rally. And I had 2,000 teens to speak to. And I have no idea what 2,000 teens thought. No idea. But as I came down, I met some people who were very intentional about the words they were saying. I met a mom who said, you know, the whole time I didn't have to poke my daughter to get off her cell phone. He, she was engaged. That was good. Or, or I had another person who said, you know, uh, we ranked everything and, and you were the favorite part of the day. That, 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 that speak, that, that talk. Others said that uh, out of a scale of 10, you were an 8.5, and, and that was the average. So anyway, I don't know how I took that, but okay. Probably my favorite thing is when another pastor just referred to how I preached on our rad dad, that we have a good father, and remembered more about God, because it's not about me, but it's about, again, the Lord we've come to consider. But isn't it good when people pick the right words? That's what we want to do. So if you're taking notes once again, let's fight to encourage one another with the right words. It might take a moment of consideration. It might take some intentionality. We might meditate on the word of God in order to, to again, encourage someone who's going through something. Let's fight for it. Because this is what Proverbs says about when we get it right. Proverbs says that gracious words are like honeycomb. They are sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I love how it refers to the words of God like honey sugar, right? So I don't think I'm going too far afield to say that gracious words are like candy. Let's be candy to one another. You can be an airhead. I'll be a starburst. Some will be Skittles. Let's just be sweet to one another with the words that we are choosing to say, and we will all be blessed. Let's be candy, friends, because that's the opportunity. And as we do this, as we continue just to consider the words that God has for us, words like you are loved, words like it's going to work out because I know he is working right now for your eternal good. And you can't see the end of the matter, but he does and he is with you. Words that you are valuable. Words that, again, you are made for a purpose. As we encourage one another, as the Spirit of God takes hold of us, we can stand firm. And what will be, be forged? Maybe new expressions of praise. Maybe out of this house of God, people remember what we mouth in the moments of misery to the glory of God. May he so help us to do that. As we close, let me just pray for us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, man, I just love you for the hope that you give in the midst of our suffering. I love you for the goodness and the beauty that you can form from a misery, but I know that there are so many people going through so many battles. Lord, give them strength. 
Lord, give them people, godly friends who can speak the word of God to them. And let us always go back to your word and fight to know the right things to say to our hearts to make the devil to leave. Lord, I thank you for the victory of Christ. I thank you that, that my freedom has been paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. With that peace, let me go forward today. In Jesus' name, amen.